minute. We've kind of changed the schedule around uh, the flow of the morning, um, and so we're kind of starting with the Word of God, and then out of response of hearing the Word of God, we're responding to God in worship, and so that's kind of what we're doing. And so, um, and so I just want to give you a little bit of review. If you were not here last week or the week before, um, the, and, and some of you, I, I love it, you're taking notes, you're, you're asking things, which is, is wonderful. Um, and so kind of the review of what I want to give, we, we talked about two of the names so far that we talked about. I wrote them on a board here. The first one is El Elohim, and the second one is El Shaddai. El Shaddai we looked at last week, El, um, El Elohim we looked at two weeks ago. And so the perceptive person is, would say, well, Steve, you said both of these mean God Almighty, God is strong, and you're exactly right. So the follow-up question is, well, what is the distinction then? And so I want to take 30 seconds and try to give a little bit, what is the distinction? Why are there different names? And so Elohim means more that God is the creator. It's the creator idea. And again, Genesis chapter 1, 30-some times, Elohim, Elohim, he's the creator, okay? El Shaddai leans more on his position, his position, and that he is powerful because of his position. Just like, and, and to illustrate that, um, my name is Steve Cornball. I'm a person, right? I'm the pastor of this church. Is that my name or is that my position? Position. Yeah, it's my position. Now, it is a name, too. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to be a trick question, but I'm trying to separate the idea of who I am and what I do. Okay? And so this is one of the things that we're seeing with, with God as we're, as we're going through these different names that God is the creator, but he's also the sovereign Lord. He's the sovereign Lord. And so uh, that's just a little tidbit. So let me ask you, or this isn't a question. I mean, think about, think about yourself. What would your body look like? And don't, don't say anything out loud, okay? Just, I'll just say it. This is for your mind to think about. What would your body look like if your body was unable to heal itself? Any wound, any little paper scrape to the, the biggest wound that you've ever had. What would your body look like if it was unable to heal every cut, scrape, burn, etc.? Well, amazingly, what God has created our bodies, he has given us the ability to be able to heal certain things. Certain things are too big that we can't heal. And so the name that we're going to look at this morning, if you want me to give it in Hebrew, Yahweh Rapha. It's the only time you're going to hear it in Hebrew because I don't even understand Hebrew, okay? What it means is the Lord who heals. The Lord, or to put it another way, the Lord is healer. So I'm doing this because some of us are visual learners. I'm a very visual learner, and it's very hard to take these names. And I'm not a picture drawer, um, but uh, the Lord is healer. And so uh, we're going to look at that uh, this morning. It's the name that we're going to start off with. 
And so what that means, it, it, um, it, it implies, you know, usually we hear healing, our first mindset is physical. And healing includes physical. But healing is way bigger than just physical. It implies emotional healing. It implies spiritual healing. Because the truth of the matter is, sin has affected every single area of our life. And so every single area of our life needs the Lord's healing. The Lord's healing. And so you're already into uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 15. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to look at this passage, Exodus 15. What is the name we're looking at? What's the English translate? You guys are good. Exactly. Yahweh Rapha. Okay? The Lord who heals. Okay? So a couple weeks ago, before we read this passage, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, we were at the, uh, the, the, the Life uh, Rally. It was a rally. Um, and uh, Ray Baker, how many of you know Ray Baker? Ray Baker is a pastor for hundreds of years that he has lived in, maybe not quite, but for a long time. He's been the chaplain at Laurel Brook, and uh, he was one of the prayer individuals, and uh, he's also, um, he does uh, hospice care. And so I just love Ray. He is the greatest storyteller in the world, um, and, uh, but one of the things that he said, that he, and he shares this regularly when he, when he was a chaplain at Laurel Brook, he would tell the residents, there is no cure for getting old. There's no cure for getting old. Okay? And what he's saying is there's parts of the curse that won't be reversed until Jesus Christ comes back and creates everything new. Okay? And so I think that's something for us uh, to be thinking about. So Exodus chapter 15, what's going on here, the setting is it's right after the parting of the Red Sea. This whole nation abruptly leaves uh, Egypt. They follow Moses after all the plagues um, in a very dramatic, in a very miraculous uh, way. And they come out on the other side of the Red Sea and they're in what? A desert. What does a desert lack? Water. Now, we're talking here, probably a conservative figure would be 2 million people are following Moses, okay? So, a few cases of water isn't going to do a whole lot, right? And so, they're lacking water. So, what does God do? What do the people do? What do they say? That's the context here. So, let me read down through here. Verse 22, then Moses made Israel set out for the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Sure, sure. There they, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. Okay? And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? I'm pro I, I, it probably sounded worse than that because even if 
even if you're just going by 50% grumbled, that's a pretty loud, complaining community. Verse 25, and he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. And here it is. For I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. I think it's very easy to miss what is going on. And God heals multiple things here. Multiple things. Multiple things needed healing. The water was not um, able to be drunk. It was dirty, not good for people. And so God took care of that. Last time, you throw a log into the water, doesn't normally make water clean. You know, Culligan does not use that as their marketing campaign. But when God's in charge, he can do whatever he wants. And so he tells Moses what to do, and Moses does it. But say, that's only half of the story. That's only half of what needed healing. What else needed healing in the story? About a million attitudes. Absolutely right. There was something physical that needed healing, but even more than physical was something spiritual. Their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard. And so God does both things. He, he heals the water, physical, but he also works on their heart. And so as we look at, I am the Lord who heals you, it's both. It's not just physical, it's very spiritual. Because what does God do in the midst of this? He tells them, if you obey me, if you obey me, if you obey me. And obeying God is always a heart issue, always. I don't want to obey you. You don't know what you're talking about. That's uncomfortable. We never say those things out loud, but that's what goes on in our heart. What do you mean, God? You want me to do what? I, God says, I am the Lord who heals. I'm the Lord who heals. Look at another uh, quick verse here. Isaiah, I'm not going to flip to it because it'll be quicker just to read it. Isaiah, if you're taking notes, 19, verse 22, says this. Isaiah 19, 22. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. And so here he's talking about in the future. Egypt was a nation that had hundreds of gods. And God was saying, I'm going to heal their hearts. Because God is always about redemption and restoration. Always. He's always about that. And so what do we see here? And here's where I'll just make one quick statement, you know, and, and I've been, um, you know, so this is in the nation of Israel, okay, the nation of Israel. Israel 
is not the church. They are two different communities of people. We don't have time to go into all the details of what that means. But the, the church is one body made up of Jew and de- Gentile. And what is our common denominator in the church? Jesus Christ. Because of his blood, he brought unity between these two groups of people that are cutthroat and have been at each other, and we still even see it in our world today, Jew and Gentile. The church is a unified body because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, the Lord is healer. I would like to fast forward. Turn over to the book of James. The book of James. And we're going to look at a a passage that really talks about this. James chapter 5. Probably is going to be familiar to uh, many of you. And I'll I'll be honest, I have avoided this passage. I'll be be real up front. Because I have struggled with my mind getting around it. But God has healed me. No, I mean, I'm joking, but... Um, I, I think God has given, I, I, I'm not saying it's some mystical thing, but I just think that, um, so I'll shut up and keep moving. James chapter 5, let's start at verse 13. Let me just read down through here. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is, and is working. And so there's a lot here. There's a lot here. It talks about, go back to verse 13, he talks about suffering the, 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 and, and cheerfulness. The command, in, the, the command in verse 13 is, is pray. That's the command. That's the imperative here pray. You pray. All of us. Regardless of whether you're sick or whether you are cheerful, what are we supposed to do as believers who know Christ intimately? Pray. All the time. That's abiding. Abiding in Christ. So verse 14, he goes on, is anyone among you sick? And again, this is where our English doesn't do the justice. The word for sick there is actually physical sickness. Okay? So is anyone among you sick? What does it say next? Let him call for the elders of the church. Observation. He doesn't say call the elder. He says call the elders. A plurality. And it's interesting. He doesn't say, call the person who has the gift of healing. That's not what he says. Why wouldn't he say that? Call the person with the gift of healing, because they can rectify this problem. That's not what he says. 
He says, call the elders. Why does he say that? Because the role of an elder is to know the word of God, to be in tune with God, to be wise and discerning. And that is what is needed in that moment. Not the gift of healing. I'm not saying, I'm not, this isn't about that. It's about, James says, call the elders of the church to pray. And so then he goes on, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now again, in English, we can't see it. So we hear sick and we have all kinds of interpretations. The word for sick there is not, is, is, it's not the word um, for cancer and COVID and a broken arm. It's not for physical sickness. It's the word for spiritually weak. Spiritually weak. So what is he saying here? He's saying these both things are at play. There's physical dynamics and there's spiritual dynamics. So what does he say? The prayer of faith will save the one who is spiritually weak. That's what he's saying. And the Lord will raise him up. And then he goes on to say, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so then he says, verse 16. This is going to make all of us very uncomfortable. I'm just going to tell you. I'm just telling you. Because this is where I think, you know, we like to apply the parts of the body that we, or of the Bible that we like. And so what does he say here? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, he just got done saying, who is the only person that can forgive sins? Jesus Christ. So, we go to Jesus for forgiveness of our sins. Only him. You can't even forgive your own sins. Only Jesus can do that. Only his blood can do that. And so he's not saying confess your sins to one another so you get forgiveness. No, that's taken, that's taken care of at the cross. So why do we need to confess our sins to one another? So that our hearts get healed. To see, the truth is, the only way we really get healing in our heart, and what I'm talking about here is the ongoing process over a long time of becoming like Jesus Christ. It only happens when we're honest and vulnerable and we confess our sins to one another. That's what James is saying here. And I know that's a challenge, isn't it? The healing here is in the passive voice, and what that simply means is that the healing is done to you. Passive means you're a recipient of it. Okay? Now, obviously, you have to take a step because you have to confess to find that healing. And so what is he saying? Again, going back to God says, I am the Lord who does what? Heals. 
Let me give you a couple examples of what uh, this healing might look like. For me, myself, I'll, I'll start with me. You know, one of the things that I'm learning about myself is that my emotions uh, can, can rule me. They can rule me. And so, for example, in the last two weeks, there was a night that I was mad about something, and I'm laying in bed, and I never struggle falling asleep, ever. In fact, usually, it happens before I even get to bed. But this night, I stared at the clock, and I was even madder because I can't fall asleep. My emotions were ruling me. And so I woke up the next morning and started searching the scriptures and saying, God, what, 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 why am I angry? And, and there was a groundable situation. I, I just, I'm not, it, it doesn't matter, really. And started searching and saying, God, what is behind the anger? And, and through God's providence, the anger wasn't the issue. There was something that happened that really, when it really came down to it, and God used my wife to help me to put words to my emotions, and behind that anger was an, an area of shame that I was feeling that was grounded to something. And after I could finally have words to it, there was confession that needed to happen with several individuals, I mean, in two different places. You know, and I'll say both of them. One, one was with uh, the other pastors, you know, so the next day I had an honest conversation. Guys, I got to let you into my heart, confess my sin to one another. Then fast forward a couple days, and it happened with uh, the rest of the, the, the elder team. So, w what are we talking about here? I don't have it all together. And the only way that I'm going to become healed and complete in Christ is through the process that God gives. Us. And really, that process, yes, it's vertical. We love that one. We go to that one all the time. But God's process is right next to you. It's right next to you. Now, we resist that. Oh, I can't share that with them. They might know my business. Yeah. But then we wonder why we don't really get healing. And we continue in the process of the cycles and keep struggling with the same sins. It's really not rocket science. That's why God is saying here. And so a couple, and let me just give you two other examples here of healing that we might need. Healing, I think, is in the area of truth-telling. We're pretty good at, you know, we share enough. We, we, we give enough, like, to, to say, you know what, I'm not being deceptive or dishonest. But are we completely honest? Vulnerable in the appropriate situation. I think we go back to the example in the story here that are, are, are we thankful? Where are we complaining to God? And maybe nobody else hears it except you murmur in your heart to God about X, Y, and Z. And what God is saying, I want to heal that. I want to change that. That's not of me. And you're not going to get changed by that by yourself. That's the lie we believe. Well, just me and Jesus, we'll just, we'll just, doesn't work. 
That's why we're 20 years later, we're struggling with the same sin. Why? Because we keep holding it quiet. And we don't simply do what the Word of God says. Confess your sins. Now, I'm not saying you go confess it. You've got to use wisdom and discernment here. You, you do that with a trustworthy person. You know, so I'm not saying, hey, you just, you just blow every... No, I'm not saying that. I don't think that's what James... James is a book of wisdom. So there's wisdom and discernment here. But the truth is, if we're going to allow God to heal us, then we have to open up our heart. Because it's in community that we find healing. That we find healing. So I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team up, and we're going to sing a couple songs here. And so, uh, and kind of out of this passage, I, I asked this last week. Some of you were not here last week. Um, I asked uh, those of you who are, you know, who you're willing to pray with someone. Um, I had you stand up. Um, and so... I'm going to ask you to do something a little, something a little bit. If, if you weren't here last week and you're comfortable praying with people, we want to we want to we, we raise that. That's a that's a good thing. Um, but the problem is when you're struggling, you sometimes don't know who to pray with. Who do I go to? Because I don't want to go to the wrong person. And so one of the things I think we have to do as a church is identify. You know what? Who's comfortable praying? Who welcomes that? Who enjoys that? Who is safe to go to? And so as we sing these next couple songs, and I know this might be weird, so. Um, but on the door handles, there's lanyards, and on the back table back there, there's a lanyard. And so if you're here and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm comfortable to pray with someone, just while we sing these songs, go grab a lanyard, put it on. It's just saying to the body, you know what, I'm willing to pray with you. If you want that, I'm willing to. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so go ahead and why don't we stand up, and we're going to sing a couple songs here. Before we went through the Genesis series, but we didn't look at the name of God in this heart. And I intentionally held back some because I knew we'd be picking it up again. And so uh, this name is Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. I wrote it out on a little board. The Lord, Yahweh, will provide. God always provides. He knows what he is doing. His timing is always right. Might not be our, might not be ours, ours, but it's always right. And so we're going to see in this story, um, Genesis 22, how the Lord provides. And you remember the context here, God promised Abraham a child. It took 25 years he gave him this child. Isaac was born. Fast forward about 13 years, and God initiated to Abram and Abraham and said, you know what? I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son. I want you to kill him on an altar for me. And you remember the story? Abraham did not hesitate. I'm sure he had a million questions. But he listened and he obeyed God. And so after he left um, his servants and him and Isaac kept going to the mountain, Mount Moriah, and again, there's a lot going on here, his, his, his teenage son asks a very logical question. 
He says, Dad, we have the fire, we have the sticks, but what about the sacrifice? We're, we're missing the sacrifice, God. And I think Abram, Abraham, I, I think he doesn't even know what to say, but look what he says. He really doesn't have an answer. So what does he say? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, so both of them went on together. Abraham is at a place of desperation. He doesn't really know how to answer his son. All he can say is, God has to provide. He knew what God was asking him to do. His son did not. God will provide. And Abram obeyed God. And so what happens? He puts his son on the altar and he is getting ready to take his life. And God, at the right time, says, hold on! Stop! Stop! Now I know that you love me more than your son. Now that I know that you love me more than the promise I made to you. And whether the ram was in the thicket all along and Abram just couldn't see it, or whether God just, who knows? But what we do know is God provided so that his son would not have to die. And so at the end of this whole story, I think what Abraham said in the beginning, out of desperation, I don't really know Isaac. All I know is that God is going to provide. That's all I know. And at the end of the story, we get this name of God. Look at this. Verse, 20, or, uh, uh, verse uh, 14. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It shall be provided. God would provide. And again, this story is part of the bigger story. Because God the Father would not have any substitute for his son's blood being spilled. His son would actually die to provide the sacrifice so that our sin could be forgiven. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. God provided for Abraham in a personal and in a meaningful way. In a meaningful way. And we worship and we serve the same God who provides. The same God who provides. Now the problem is, I think this is where too often we treat God more like he's a vending machine. We know what we want, so we say a few prayers, we stick it in the slot, we pull down the thing, we want to pull, pull out, what we want from God. And let's just be clear. 
God's not interested in accomplishing our agenda. He's not. When he says the Lord will provide, it means God is going to meet your needs. And again, this is probably the bigger picture of this is, again, we think so in terms of physical a lot of times. The point here is God has provided. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 1. You want to know what God has provided for you? Read Ephesians chapter 1. You'll hear a list of things that God has lavished and blessed you with. And we need to keep that in our mind. The Lord will provide. He provides our needs way more than our wants. And so when God doesn't do something for us that we want and we get angry and agitated, God God wants us to be honest. But we need at times step back and say, you know what? Okay, God, what, what, what are you doing here? What are you doing? You know what you're doing. So where am I missing it? What do you want me to see that I'm not seeing? Because the Lord will provide. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a couple more songs here. And as we do that, we're going to to receive our offering as well during this time. I felt like, hey, this is a great time because this is kind of the offering is one of those moments that we see see God provide and give and just all these pieces uh, in the process. And... uh, And so why don't we go ahead and uh, uh, stand up and uh, we'll pass the offering bowls and sing a couple songs here as well, okay?